You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I mentioned last week that um, you know my, uh, my, my last church that I was at is going through the book of Hebrews, and, and I was surprised to see that because I don't coordinate my sermons with uh, any outside sort of a any outside organization at all, you know, like if you were um, Catholic or high church, you have a lectionary that you follow. So like right now, you know, every uh, Lutheran church will be having the same readings. They'll be going through the same general studies. Um, But as a low church congregationalist like we are, we just kind of do our own thing. And so I thought that was interesting that that my church in Kingwood did that. And then this week um, I was on on Twitter just kind of looking around. And one of the guys I follow who was actually, uh, I guess he was the second place finisher in the Southern Baptist Convention's presidential election, uh, he's going through Hebrews as well, uh, and, and he just posted like his, his passage, and it's literally the same passage I'm preaching today. Um, and so like, there's something going on, right? It's kind of like you, know, you hear a song, and it's the first time you recognize that song. You're like, oh, hey, I kind of hear that song. And then you go into like Walmart, and you're like, hey, that song is playing, and you hear it everywhere. I think that's what's going on with Hebrews, right? All of a sudden, I'm seeing it everywhere out there. But I love the book of Hebrews. It lifts Christ up. It, it tries to elevate uh, Christ to his appropriate place while, while asking us to hold firmly to our faith and look to the author uh, of our faith in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be looking uh, at how Jesus is greater than Moses, how Jesus is greater than the greatest uh, that, that, that the Hebrews had to offer up until the point of Jesus. We're in Hebrews chapter 3. We're just doing six verses today. That should only take us about an hour to get through together, okay? Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider uh, the apostle, or consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has much more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over over God's house as a son. And we are his house if if indeed we hold fast our or if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Okay, so so the author of Hebrews begins to lay out this comparison between Christ and Moses. And and to understand how important this is, you had to have to have a good glimpse of who Moses is. And so I'll give you just a brief overview of Moses. Uh, Moses uh, was the the hero of the Old Testament. Abraham and Moses and Elijah. Those are your three heavy hitters in the entirety of the Old Testament. And they kind of hold different places in the hearts of of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. 
But Moses was far and away the most prolific of those characters. Uh, Moses had four books dedicated to his life, his work, and his efforts. Those are the books Exodus through Deuteronomy. They follow Moses' birth, they follow his, uh, his life, uh, and they track everything. You know, Jesus himself only has four books dedicated to that part of his life. Right now, obviously, like the entire Bible speaks to Jesus and, and talks of and about Jesus. But we have the four Gospels that describe that. Moses has four books dedicated to him. He was a huge figure. Moses' story is familiar to a lot of us. When he was born, he was born in Egypt uh, to, to, to the Hebrews who were enslaved by the Egyptians. And in fact, he wasn't supposed to be allowed to live. Uh, there was a command given by Pharaoh who was scared that there were too many Hebrew males coming, uh, that, that, that all males should be executed uh, so that if in 20 years they decided to revolt, uh, there would not be enough men to make the revolt possible, right? If you kill all of the Hebrew boys and you let all the Hebrew girls live, eventually uh, you, you kind of take away the chance of there being this massive slave uprising. But Moses' mother uh, hid him and raised him as long as she could in privacy and in secrecy. Um, but if you ever have ever had a baby, you know that that can only go so long, right, before the baby uh, can become discovered um, by people outside of your home. And so uh, when Moses got big enough and loud enough, uh, she, she went down and she um, built a little basket that was more of a boat for him to sit in, laid him among the reeds where Egyptian women would go to bathe. And as God would have it, the, uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh comes out to bathe, hears the baby crying, looks in the basket, sees the baby. And, and like a lot of us, right, you see a baby crying, you say, oh my goodness, this is so sad, picks him up, brings him home, adopts him, knowing um, that he was, he was a Hebrew child who was set for destruction, uh, saved his life from destruction, and raised him in the palace as a child of the Pharaoh, right? And so he was given the very best that, the, that Egypt had to offer. He was raised um, as a child, uh, a prince of Egypt, as the DreamWorks video uh, titles it, right? He's raised as this, like, uh, a special, special, like, uh, child. And then when he's about 40 years old, uh, he, he knows he's Hebrew. He's always known he's Hebrew. Uh, the Bible uh, tends to show us. And he goes outside and he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew mercilessly. And, and uh, he becomes enraged. He murders uh, the, the, the person beating the Hebrew uh, and then buries him in the sand. It's one of my favorite Bible stories because of how it's told. It says uh, Moses, uh, you know, looking this way and then that, kills him and then buries him in the sand. Like it's a very weird way to tell the story of the murder of someone. It finds, he finds out that the murder was not a master crime and that he was going to get caught. And so he runs and hides. He spends the next 40 years of his life hanging out in Midian, uh, making friends uh, with, with Jethro, you know, like, in, like a Beverly Hillbillies uh, beginning, I guess, right? Making friends with Jethro, marries Jethro's daughter, uh, and then uh, has some kids of his own. Uh, and then God calls him back through the burning bush. He goes back to Egypt, leads his people out of there, plagues and speaking and, uh, to, to, to uh, Pharaoh, parts the Red Sea, leads the people across, gets across the Red Sea, goes onto a mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. He is this heroic figure. And so when the author of Hebrews begins to talk about Moses and to compare Moses to Jesus, he's not just comparing Moses to like a, a good person or an above average person. He's comparing Moses, or Jesus to the very finest 
person that they have in their history. Moses was the lawgiver. I mean, God gave the law, but Moses was the one who received the law and gave it to the people, right? Moses was the leader of them out of slavery. Moses led them all through the wilderness up into the Jordan River where they would cross under Joshua uh, to take possession of Canaan where God had called them back home. Jesus is compared to Moses, and the way he's compared to Moses uh, in verses 1 and 2, I love the way it says. It says, consider... Jesus, right? That's verse 1. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The idea is like, hey, as we look at Moses and as we look at Jesus, set your eyes on Jesus. There's something unique about Jesus. Moses was great and wonderful and exemplary. He was faithful. That's how Moses is described all through this passage. Faithful in what God had asked him to do. Faithful in what he was supposed to do. But the author of Hebrews doesn't want us to get so caught up focusing on Moses because there's something better to focus on. He says, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Set your gaze on Jesus. I'll say this, church, a lot of times we can become distracted um, from looking to Jesus. Right? We, we, there's a lot of other people we can look to. We can look to pastors. Right? We can look to, uh, to people who stand up and expose God's words and say, man, that person is great uh, at exposing God's words. Right? And, and, and some of you have been around long enough. You have heard some absolute giants uh, go and share. Right? We, we, we have the Billy Grahams. We have, uh, uh, I mean, you go back into First Baptist Dallas' history, and you just go through all of the pastors First Baptist Dallas has had. You're like, man. How wonderful these people get up silver-tongued, just able to, to give you God's truth and apply it to your life. Some of you may have had a pastor in your past, and you're like, he just got up there and, and he spoke, and I could see what God wanted me to do. What a wonderful thing it is. But a lot of us, we, we consider people over Jesus. We look to people over Jesus. And, and I want to tell you guys, if we're going to follow Christ's faith, if we're going to do what we're supposed to do as believers, our eyes have to be consistently fixed on Jesus. Consistently fixed on Jesus. Not to be distracted by the other voices out there, whether they're good or whether they're bad or they're somewhere in between. Don't let your gaze get fixed on something else. Fix your gaze on Jesus and Jesus alone. How do you do that? Well, first of all, that means you need to go to where Jesus is found, which is in the Word of God, right? Jesus is the Word of God found in the Word of God, which is the Bible. And you can find Jesus. Consider Jesus. You should be reading the stories of Jesus. You should be reading about Jesus. Those stories that are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should be foundational to who you are. Because that is our Savior, the author and perfecter of our salvation, as, as, as he's described here, right? The, the high priest and the apostle uh, of our confession, right? He is this special person. And we know that Jesus is this exemplary person because he was described that way right before there. Because he was the one, the only one, who could die for your sins, right? That's chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 there. That Jesus is the only one who could offer a faithful sacrifice so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sins. So because of who he is, consider him. And when we compare him to other people, recognize he's 
better, right? This is the entire point of the early part of Hebrews, that Jesus is better than whatever else is out there. In fact, that guy on Twitter that I talked about, his sermon, I don't know if it's his series title or if it was just the title uh, for this, uh, this thing, but he showed like a graphic that his team had ripped out, and it was like, uh, you know, Jesus, greatest of all time. He didn't use like the goat image that you might get in some more like casual thing, but the idea that Jesus is the greatest of all time because he's over all things, right? He's a different class of, of, of individual. And so when we look to Jesus, we're looking on something better, right? And that means he's better than whatever else it is that we distract ourselves with, right? He's better than the Houston Astros who are struggling right now, stubbed their toes a couple times, right? He's better than the Houston Texans, which is not hard to be, right? Uh, Houston Texans is a mess. Like I got onto the Cowboy fans last week, right? But as a Texan fan, I don't have much to do to get on to y'all. I understand that, right? I know I know that we're, my house is a mess down in Houston, right? But, but, I mean, come on, Cowboy fans, seriously, right? Like, Cowboy fans. And now I don't get over there. Okay, here we go. But consider Jesus better than the Cowboys. Right, that's not hard. No, I'm going to stop there, right? Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Verses 3 and 4, uh, the, the author of Hebrews uh, goes from this, this, this base level comparison of Jesus to talk about what it is um, that they are. And it says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And so he, he says, you know, Jesus is worth more glory than Moses. Moses was, was greatly glorified in the Hebrew culture. I mean, and rightly so. Up until the arrival of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, he was their greatest of all time. He was their exemplary figure in a lot of ways. And so Moses stood up and, and he was being glorified because he had the law and the structures. You had entire like sects of Jewish people who would worship every word that Moses said and then all the words that were written about what Moses might have said. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, right? You have, you have a variety of people who are so interested in what Moses built. The construction of the Torah, what came out uh, of the law, and, and they said, man, what, what a wonderful thing that Moses has designed for us, recognizing that God gave Moses uh, the, the design, at least as expressed in the first five books of the Bible, God gave Moses those designs uh, himself, um, but, but they, they glorified Moses for what he did. And the author of Hebrews says, yes, but, but Moses accounted a certain amount of glory, but his glory should be the glory of the house as opposed to the builder of the house. You know, you walk up and like a structure like this, which I love this church. Is it, it, you know, I'm in here a lot when no one else is in here. And I am one of my favorite, I love this spot right here. Uh, this is a, a lot of you don't get this spot right here. Um, I, I like it better when y'all are out there. But honestly, I can come up here uh, when no one is in this room and I can stand at this pulpit and I can look out and I can see y'all. It helps that y'all don't move very much. Um, but I can see y'all. You can see my church, and I can see, and it's just a beautiful place. I stand in the back. This is my other favorite place, the very back of the church. Some of you are like, that's my favorite place too, Matt. Back row, Baptist back there, right? right. I sit, and I, and I stand in the middle of the aisle, and I look forward, and you can just feel. I mean, you, you don't even have to see the, the roof line. You can just feel the building around you. Think, Man, what a wonderful, wonderful structure this is. It's gorgeous. What was sacrificed to make this happen back in the early 70s, right, to, 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 to build this thing? What a tremendous, a tremendous thing it is. And, and to have some pride in that as a church, say, man, what a, what a, what a great thing this is. It, it, but, but this 
It's just the building, right? The, the, the mind that conceived of it. They said, hey, we're going to go exposed beams up and across, right? The mind that conceived of it to, to, to say this is what it's going to look like is, is, is greater than the structure itself. Right, the, the one who, 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 who crafted uh, the, the materials is better than the materials as they came together. And that's the idea that, that, that the author of Hebrews is trying to lay out. Like, yeah, Moses uh, has this, this structure around him. The whole Jewish lifestyle is structured around Moses' uh, teachings and things that are found in the first five books of our Bible. Right, there is this, this great glory there. But, you know, greater glory goes to the one who, who even designed it before that. Right? And so to look beyond, right, to look beyond Moses and to give glory to Jesus, right? Jesus is worthy of greater glory. He's worthy of greater glory than Moses. He's worthy, worthy of greater glory than any other person of all time. He is a unique, special figure. I, when, for the funeral service I did this week, John 14, 6, right? You know, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is a unique way to salvation there's not another way it's not muhammad right and his his five pillars it's not uh, buddha and some sort of transcendental meditation right it's not l ron hubbard and whatever scientology is trying to teach us today it's none of that it's jesus he's greater than all those he's worthy of greater glory and we should glorify jesus Today, in fact, you know, I mentioned, right, question one in the Westminster Catechism, what's the, the chief end of man, right, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to love him forever. And that is like we're supposed to glorify God in all that we do. And I think sometimes we struggle with that. I struggle with that. What does it look like to glorify God? How can I achieve uh, this, this glorifying God? But, but you know, the way I, I think about it, the way that's helped me is I have children, a few of them, six, six children. We had a random baby yesterday at my house. And we were walking down the road. It was not a random baby. It was the Richie's baby. Um, but we, we, had the, we had little Bonnie Richie uh, at our house last night. Uh, and we go for a walk down the road. And uh, there's a, a, a couple, I think it's the Perrys, the, the older Perrys, uh, walk about the same time we walk. And so we see them a lot when we're out walking the kids. We walk our children instead of our dogs. Um, but, but we go out and we, we take, our, take our kids for a walk. Ezekiel loves going out. And so we go out and when the sun's getting down a little bit and uh, the Perrys come by and they're like, you got a new kid? <laughs> and we're like, and we're like, no, 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 it's just a loner, uh, right? And then we're, we're coming back and, and Martha Moore, uh, who, I don't know, she's always driving around about the same time we're walking. I don't know what she's doing out. I didn't ask her. Uh, but she stops by and she's like, because she hadn't been in church for a little while. She's like, what are y'all doing here? <laughs> right? That explained to Martha, like, no, this is the richest baby. Right? But, but, but we go out and we, uh, I don't know what this has to do with anything, Daniel. Why did you let me get on this story here? I had a point and you just took me over there talking about walking my kids like dogs. I don't know. Jesus is worthy of greater glory. Oh, this is this. There it is, guys. Thank you. I got six, I got six kids. And what helped me understand, what helps me to, to grab a little bit about glorifying God, is you know how proud you get if you're a parent, how proud you can get of your kids for doing just whatever. They can be big, like, like you know, getting, getting straight A's in something or dominating some tests. I, I think uh, it was last week I was talking to Brent Hasselbach, and, you know, he was talking about, like, some eighth grade science test or something. 
and like how Jake was the first kid in like a decade that he got a perfect score on the state science test. Like, like his teacher, the teacher would always bribe kids to get a perfect score, you get cash of some sort, I don't know how much cash. Uh, that's not a common thing in Rockdale, so I don't want that to go out on the internet. But, um, <laughs> but Jake got a perfect score on it. And you know, like this is like, four, Jake's a senior now, it's like four years later, and like his dad's still proud, of, he should be proud of it. Like what, what a wonderful thing. Like that, that feeling of pride, and you just want to share about that. You just want to talk about what they're doing. Like, hey, my kid just, you know, learn to, learn to clap. And like, like, like clapping hands is not that hard, but when your baby starts clapping their hands, you think everyone in the world wants to know about it, right? Because you, you, you're glorifying your child. And that's, I don't mean that in a sacrilegious way. You're just lifting them up. You're praising what they do, right? I was at a birthday party yesterday, and, and my, my across-the-street neighbors were there. Like, hey, my, my kid can identify all the letters. My kid can't. My kid, he, he can't do that. Right, but like, ain't that all the letters? And I was like, yeah, my, my, man, Ezekiel, like, he's been going through these books, and like, he, he, can, he knows shapes. Like, he'd be like an oval, like, just like kind of a weird circle, right? Like, but he's like, oval. I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. Right, and so we're like, we're like comparing stories of what our two and three year old kids are doing because we're so proud of them, right? We're, we're, we can't help but talk about when we're together. We're like, hey, let me tell you what my kid's doing. Hey, what? Right, and now I've got Seth up in college, and y'all are asking me, how's he doing? And I'm like, I don't know, he's doing it in school, let's be honest. Right, but like he's loving, he's making friends, he's connecting, he's figuring this life thing out. It's an amazing thing. I'm proud of him. Right, this idea of proud. By the way, the rest of you kids who I haven't mentioned today, but I'm, I'm proud of y'all too, by the way, just so you know. Um, <laughs> right, not so much Sierra back there with messing up the whole parsonage video thing there, but other than, other than that, the rest of y'all, his pride is swelling. But you know, you, you, you want to, that thing that drives you to talk about them. Right, that, that's, that's, that's an image of how we can glorify, glorify God because we're so overwhelmed. It's a, such a big part of our life, and we just can't help but talk about it. One of the ways we glorify God is through what we say. But Christ is worthy of greater glory than your child. He's worth greater glory than the most, uh, you know, the, the, the finest person that you know or the finest thing that you want to talk about, right? Um, a lot of you, um, well, I'm going to pass that as well. Like a couple weeks ago, a lot of AM people gave a lot of UT people a pretty hard time for going to Arkansas and getting beat down, which is fair because Arkansas is typically trash at football. But then AM went to Arkansas this week and it was also not good for AM. And I'm a TCU fan and we just lost to freaking SMU. So, like, I'm not, like, I'm not throwing stones at any of your teams for being bad at, at football today and losing to Arkansas. Arkansas may be good. But the, the, point, the point of it is, like, like, sometimes we just can't help but talk about those things that we love, whether it's sports or whether it's our kids or whether it's our dogs. Some of you really like your dogs. Awesome. Like, the way that you want to talk about what your dog does and how your dog does, that's a, that's a picture that you can use to say, like, how does that look compared to how I talk about Jesus? How does it look I, as, as I talk about Ezekiel, who's my, my little one, like the, I, I, I can, the, I ain't ever getting out of here. Uh, yeah, I read the stories back in the Old Testament, and you have Isaac, uh, and then you have Jacob, and Jacob has these 12 sons, right? And then all of a sudden, he has like these two kids at the end. You know, he has Joseph and Benjamin, and, and I can understand, I can understand why Joseph and Benjamin became the favorites. It's not just because they were born the favorite. It's something about being old, and I'm old now, and then having something young, you're like... Yeah, because like when my kids were all, like when, they, when we were young and having kids, man, I was just trying to survive. My wife says they were as cute as Ezekiel is. She tells me that I, that I loved them as much as I loved Ezekiel, uh, or love Ezekiel right now. But man, it's hard for me to imagine that. 
right? Because like I was, we were overwhelmed. Life was stressful. It was crazy. We were poor. Like uh, I've said it before, but like our first year that we filed taxes, we filed like $14,000 or something less than that. I think like $12,000 total joint income for our family. And I know inflation's happened since then, but it's not happened that much, right? Like we were, we were poor. We were skimping and saving and borrowing from people. It was a weird time. And then we had kids on top of that because this lady over here wanted kids. And, uh, and man, it just got crazy. But I understand it. But, but you know, that pride that you feel that you want to talk about, that's glorifying. We glorify. So, so do you talk more about those? And you talk more about those kids. You talk about Jesus. You talk more about your sports team. You talk about Jesus. You talk more about uh, your favorite TV show or uh, YouTube or whatever it is that, that you do for entertainment. Do you talk more about that? Is that the thing that just captivates your heart and your mouth goes out? Because you know what? If it is, you're probably glorifying that, right? You're probably glorifying the house more than the builder of the house. Author of Hebrews wants us to stop fixing our eyes on the one who built, or on the, on the structures, wants to fix our eyes on the one who created all things. Going down to verse 5 and 6, it says, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify about the things we're going to be talking about later. But Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house of indeed. We hold fast our, our, our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And he says, look, Moses was faithful as a servant of God, but Jesus was faithful as a son of God. And that's a different relationship. It's different to work for someone and to be the, and to be the son of someone, right? You, you could be in a company for 50 years working for someone, working for someone, working for someone, working your way up the church. But you know what? If that, that guy, his grandson all of a sudden graduates college and has no experience, you're working for that grandson all of a sudden. Right, 50 years, you know the business, you know the people, you know the whatever. The grandson comes out and all of a sudden it's like, hey guys, he's you know, 23 years old and he's the boss. And you're like, how did this happen? It's because he's different. He's not a servant, he's not a worker, he's not an employee, he's not just another guy. Right? He's the son, he has a special bit of honor prescribed to him. How much more so the eternal son of God has this special honor given to him. Right, Moses built the structure, right? He built this, 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 this thing he was faithful to build, which was the Jewish religion. The whole thing around Judaism was, is kind of focused around Moses' teachings in the first five books of the Bible, plus all of the, 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 the extra, extra writings that went after that. Right? But Jesus built something better as the Son. He built the church as the Son. Right? Christ is the author of the church. He's the creator of the church. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. He built something better. It's more relational. It's less transactional. Right? The Jewish religion is transactional. You do wrong, you pay to make right. right? You, you, if, 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 if Doc was to cuss me out, don't cuss me out, but if Doc was to cuss me out, he does wrong. Right? And then he would have to go to the priest, which I guess is me in this case as well, which would be awkward. Right? And then he would have to come and bring a bird or something like that, and we would kill the bird and sacrifice the bird. He'd have to pay to make it right, and it was a transaction. You do wrong, make a transaction to make it right, sacrifice something to make it right, and then you're good. Jesus made a different system. Stop being about transactional. The transaction was paid, which was the death of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, that Christ could die on the cross for your sins, but he didn't just die for my sins, your sins, and his. He died for all sins, right? And so when that transaction happened, there's no more transactional nature. It's all relational, right? The church is a relational place. Instead of a place that's dedicated to the law and upholding rules and regulations and rituals, it's a place of grace 
and love, right? Right? It's going to know. How, how will you know that you're my disciples? By the way, you love one another. The church is a place, uh, you know, we're saying, uh, build my life, right? You know, and I will build my life upon your love, right? And the idea is like, like the love of Christ is foundational to who we are as a people. It's foundational to who we are. It should come out of who we are because the church is better. Right? This is a better system. Christ replaced the old system with something better, newer, finer, greater. And we get to be a part of that. And we should glorify God that we're not having to do that other thing anymore. Like you don't have to keep bringing another thing up and another thing up and another thing up to take care of all the things you've done wrong. And in the last week, we glorify God because he's greater. We glorify Christ because he's greater. And how do we glorify Christ? And I was thinking about this, trying to explain it to you. And I did it the same way I do sin, right? And when I talk about sin, right, I say sin is anything you think, say, or do that breaks God's laws or makes him sad. And I think we can glorify God the same way, right? But we can glorify God by what we think, by what we say, and what we do. Right, right, we're supposed to renew our minds, right? That, that's part of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to think on the things of God. We're supposed to consume the things of God. We're supposed to ponder the thing of God. And then our lives will be changed by that. And, and so if you want to glorify God, and you should want to glorify Christ in what you do, then it needs to start with your mind. Daily renewing your mind. And that can come through reading God's Word, it can come through prayer. The idea is to consistently uh, to, 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 to work on what your thought process is so that it focuses on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus today, your mind on Jesus today. Not on, on accomplishing today's task, not on uh, are we going to win the game today, not on what are we having for dinner later. Fix your eyes on Jesus Today, he's worthy of your mind. Think on him. Speak of him as well. It's not just what you think, it's what you say. Right? If what you think doesn't come out of your mouth, I'm going to tell you you're not thinking properly. Right? Because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of what's inside of you, it comes out of you. And so if what's coming out of you are not the things of God, if you're not talking good of God, or if it's not the if it's not the grace of God, if those are not the things that come out of you, right? there's probably something going on inside of you that's not right. right? What you say, you should speak on the glory of God. You should tell people about the goodness of God. You should warn sinners to repent so that they can experience the grace of God. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a two-sided coin. Right? We can tell people that they're wrong. In fact, I, I feel like we need to be willing to look and confront sin as we see it. But, 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 but it's not just confronting sin, it's confronting sin and offering the better option out there. Right? It's, not, it's not you wicked sinner, you're going to hell and then just leaving them. Right? Because that's no gospel at all. Right? The good news is you're a wicked sinner, you're going to hell, but Christ died for you. And I was you. Back then. I was 15 years old, I was you. And I see it, and I don't want it for you, because God has something better for you. So stop sinning and start pursuing Christ. Our words should be that. You know, I love it whenever I hear people just speak Scripture. I don't even know if they know it all the time. Right? They've just read Scripture so much that when they're talking to you, it's not that they give references, but the words that they say are scriptural words in conversation. I'm like... Because I hear, like I, I've read the Bible enough, I've consumed the Bible enough that my, my ears hear. And I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's the Bible. I may not be able to tell you what book it is, but that's, that's actually from the good book. 
Why? Well, because their mouth is, is speaking good, and that glorifies God. We build God up, right? And then what we do, we think, or how, how, we, how, we, how we control our mind, our mouth, right? the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? We glorify God through our mouth. But we also glorify God by what we do. How do we do? What do we choose to do? What do we choose not to do? It's one of the reasons Southern Baptists got so big on what you're not supposed to do. Because there's a lot of things you're not supposed to do. And I'm not, like a, I'm not a hyper-legalist. I think most of you know that. Like I'm not laying down all the boundaries that you're not supposed to cross. But the truth is there's a lot of things that y'all need to avoid doing. Right? You can glorify God by abstaining from certain activities that everyone else is doing. You can glorify God by not doing some things, but you can also glorify God by doing things that give Him glory. Right? That means going to places where God... God is glorified when you come here and you participate uh, in worship. Right? When you participate in, in, in worship, whether that's through song, whether that's through engaging uh, in the sermon right now, or whether that's through giving to the church. Right? That, that's a way to glorify God in worship. You choose to participate there. I am not the greatest singer on earth. I'm a willing singer, right? I'm a willing singer, but I'm not the greatest singer. I, my, I, my mom thinks I'm a good singer. But mamas lie to their kids. Um, yeah, mamas lie to their kids. And so I, and I've always thought I was a fine singer. At my last church, I told my worship guy, who was like an elite singer, he went to the Berkeley School of Music up in Massachusetts, which is like like the top, it's hit that and Juilliard are the two like fine art schools in America, and so he went he went to Berkeley, like and so I was like, hey, I'm a pretty good singer, and he's like, Matt, I've heard you, you're not a pretty good singer. <laughs> and I was like, like man, that hurt my heart. But what I am is I'm a willing participant in worship, right? And it doesn't have to be every song that I love. Like I don't I don't love every song that we sing. Just full full disclosure to you, right? Second verse of how great thou art, I don't like it. I don't like walking through the woods and forest glades I wander, right? I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the nature songs. I don't, I, 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 man, he doesn't like that. I like, I like, give me one and three for how great thou art. I'm, I'm down. Number two, they always throw it in the middle because they know it's a weak verse, by the way. That's just free for you. But I don't like it. I, I, don't, I don't get in the other. My last church, we sang like, we sang some songs. I was like, I don't like this song. I told my worship, I don't like this song. He said, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Right? It wasn't that the song was like, like bankrupt. I was like, I just don't like the song. I don't, I don't like it. Like, I feel like it's like borderline romantic. Right? Borderline, uh, some of y'all have heard that if you've been in worship music enough. You're like, That's almost romantic towards Jesus. It's like, I don't like it. I feel kind of weird. He's like, whatever. <laughs> right? But what I am is I'm a willing participant in worship. That's part of what I do. One of the ways that I glorify God. And, and honestly, like, when the words are true, like, there's something there. It's something about putting your, your, your words and your actions together, choosing to participate. Also choosing to participate through, 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 through participating in what God is doing in his world and his kingdom. I didn't mention the Mary Hill Davis offering. That's one of the ways you do that, right? You, you choose to participate. You say, I'm going to do with what I've done. Like, you've spent 40 hours a week making the cheddar, and then, and then you come and you say, God, here's a piece of what, 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 what I've given or what, what, what I've received. I'm going to give back. See, whether it's for missions, whether it's for missionaries somewhere else, whether it's for the church, to say, man, I'm going to participate because, God, I'm going to do something for you. Whether it's going and serving in the church, right? We, we always need people to help in various capacities inside this church or serving outside of the church. 
But there's countless opportunities outside of the church to serve God and His kingdom. Right? You can go to the Christ Pregnancy Center. It's literally right across the street from here. Right? They need help. Rockdale Christian Services. Rockdale Christian Services couldn't stay open uh, two weeks ago. They didn't have the volunteers to stay open two weeks ago. They had to put a sign out saying, we're not open right now. We don't have volunteers to come and work to, to help deliver food. They deliver food to people. They can come and get bags and, and take food back home. It's a good ministry in our community. It's just right across from Texas Burger-ish, right about there, um, across the highway. From, if there's an opportunity for you to serve, there's countless opportunities for you to do, but are you thinking about the things of God to glorify Him? Are you speaking the things of God to glorify Him? And are you doing the things to glorify Him? Because Christ is worthy of greater glory, and we need to glorify Christ today. As a church, I want us to be a church that glorifies Christ. Sometimes I think we do great at it. Sometimes we struggle. But the purpose of our church, right, is to glorify Christ and then to make disciples who will continue to make disciples. We want people to look like Jesus and then to go and to lead other people to meeting and knowing Jesus. It's who we are. It's what we're about. Christ is worthy of greater glory than Moses, greater glory than, than your favorite sports team, greater glory than your child, greater glory than your spouse. He is worthy. Ascribe to him glory and honor. Ascribe to him glory and honor. Let me pray.